Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. Chris and I have another fun, informative episode of the Happy Hour for you this week with a great guest interview discussing, of all things, the end of marketing. It's episode 16, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. So what happy hour is complete without a few beverages to discuss all things digital marketing? Chris, what are you drinking during this happy hour? I am drinking local again. Uh, Green Bench Brewery in the St. Petersburg area. I have a Bench Life, which is an American-style light lager. What about you, Ryan? Sticking with, uh, you know, this theme I have recently with beers is, uh, you know, uh, well, I guess I had Stella last time, but uh, in the Mexican front, uh, Dos Equis, uh, lager. So that is, uh, that's what I'm drinking during this happy hour. Well, now that we have our beverages in hand, we do have another jam-packed episode with a special guest, so no need to waste any more time. Chris, can you bring him on in? Carlos Gill is the author of the best-selling book, The End of Marketing, Humanizing Your Brand in the Age of Social Media and AI, an international keynote speaker and award-winning digital storyteller with over a decade of experience leading social media strategy for global brands including LinkedIn, Winn-Dixie, Save-A-Lot, and BMC Software. His work has been featured by CNN Money, Harvard Business Review, Social Media Examiner, and dozens of trade publications. And because he clearly doesn't like to sleep, he's also delivered bilingual keynote speeches across the U.S., South America, and Europe, including industry events such as Social Media Marketing World and South by Southwest. Presently, he's the CEO and founder of Gill Media Company, a full-service digital marketing firm based with offices in Los Angeles and Miami, and works with Fortune 500 clients. Carlos, welcome to the happy hour. What's going on, guys? Good to be here. So, Carlos, to get this started, this is a digital marketing happy hour. If not right now, what is one of your go-to drinks when you're going to a bar? What are some of the things during happy hour that you do like to uh, partake in? Man, such a good question to kick this off, I tell you. First of all, I love old fashions. Love a, love a good, smoky old fashioned. I uh, can't go wrong with that. Uh, and you'd be surprised in business and when we do these happy hours in normal times when you order like a smoked old-fashioned it really becomes a conversation starter like no pun intended it's a really good way to break the ice with the person yeah. that you're meeting with uh just because of the presentation like oh what is that uh, i love scotch so love a smoky scotch and uh, if i'm gonna have a beer i like ipas but like real strong hoppy double ipas love the triple ipas if you can find them so if you can't tell, I like strong drinks, and that kind of goes with my personality. Uh, I was about to say at that. the same time. <laughs> very good, very good. So, a couple of things we wanted to, to, to jump in here and and really talk about is in 2019 you published the end of marketing. Great title, especially for a marketing book. Tell us what was some of the inspiration behind you know just the title and your approach to the end of marketing. Well, you know, the challenge today with writing a book, especially on a topic that's been written about probably thousands of times before before you, is originality and uniqueness. 
And, you know, it's funny that I say that because what makes you stand out as a brand today is originality and uniqueness, along with being able, obviously, to be relatable and connect with your audience. But when I sat down and I wrote this book, first and foremost, it was a way for me to write a piece to teach marketers what it's like to really run social media from the inside of a corporation. So I know you guys are in Tampa. I spent a good part of the early days of my career uh, living and doing business in Jacksonville, Florida, both as an entrepreneur. And then I spent years working at Winn-Dixie as their first head of social media. And that experience working at Winn-Dixie was unique in itself because it was the first time that I had an opportunity to work at a corporate level in social media for a billion dollar company. But I was the first head of social media at Winn-Dixie in the days where social media was still relatively new. You know, we're talking about early days of 2012 when I started working there. And then, you know, throughout my career, I started building a brand for myself. I eventually went to go work for LinkedIn, did a bunch of speaking engagements and then wrote this book. So I've really been in this space. Even before Winn-Dixie, when I got in the space in 2008, I've been in this space now for a while, I've been able to see it evolve. And even though we have new channels, we have new platforms, the basis of how you market hasn't really changed. But what has changed since the early days up until now is it's noisier. You've got more players. You've got brands that continue to act and speak like brands. And then you've got people, which are brands too, which are really the ones that are getting the attention on social media today. So again, when I sat down and wrote them to marketing, I wanted this big, bold idea and really the entire book be centered around the idea. And that idea is that people are brands, not logos. People associate with people, not logos. And if corporate entities like your Walmarts and Starbucks of the world going forward are going to have any chance of competing on what I refer to as this noisy digital ocean, then they themselves need to apply the same tactics and techniques that everyday people do. And that's humanizing your brand by leveraging people, not your logo. And, you know, what's ironic, guys, is this book I sat down and wrote at the beginning of 2019. I had no idea that there would be a coronavirus or um, you know, societal issues or any civil uprising in the United States. And I sat down and wrote it over a year ago, but people have been buying it like crazy over the last three or four months because A, I think the title itself, the tone of the book has this apocalyptic end of days type feel to it. The first sentence in the book is marketing as we know it is dead. Uh, and then that kind of leads on to walking marketers through this very realistic way of believing that, you know, today you have to be more like DJ Khaled and Kim Kardashian and less like Nike and Walmart. Mm. AI is going to be responsible for the destruction or disruption, I should say, of thousands of marketing jobs. And when you kind of peel back the layers of the onion and connect it to where we're at today, the parallels are there. You know, people in this era of where we're at of, of, of COVID they're sick and tired of hearing that a Winn-Dixie or Publix has mangoes on sale two for a dollar, right? They don't want to hear that Nike has $49.95 on running shoes with a 90-day return policy. They really don't care about that. People, us humans, we're like we're creatures of habit. We crave connection, especially nowadays where you can't really leave your house and you don't have those same liberties and luxuries that you used to. So the challenge that's there for brands now is even more present than when I wrote this book. I wrote this book with very much like a 10-year runway. Like you need to do all these things leading up to AI becoming a big player in the marketing space. But I, I tell you what, you know, doing the same tactics that worked in 2017 and 18, they definitely don't work in, in today's market. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I'm curious, what do you advise for, you know, these small businesses or brands that are trying to do that? And part of the reason, let me give you some context for why I'm asking that. I feel like with technology, you mentioned AI, a lot of the marketing automation software and other software packages out there, they're blending AI and other technology into it to try to automate as much of the the personalization aspect of it as possible. But if you've ever received one of those emails, and all of us have at some point, you know it's not truly authentic. It's not truly, you, you know that there isn't somebody else behind that. What's the advice? And yet, at the same time, these companies have to struggle with how do they reach out to all of their customers, right? The larger they are, the, the bigger the customer base, how do you manage all of that? What's the advice that you give to brands, to companies, to somebody starting in the space with how to balance that blending of technology with maintaining that true authenticity? Well, you know, first of all, you need to analyze what purpose does social media play for your organization at this point in time, right? You don't need to be on every social network in in order to be successful. You don't need to be on every new platform like TikTok or Twitch, but you need to work smarter, not harder with the resources that you have. So the first step that I advise clients and anyone asks me, you know, where should I really be investing my time? It starts with where's your audience and where can you get the biggest reach? I love what you guys are doing with the podcast because in order to start a podcast, you don't need to have a big brand following. You don't need to have a lot of subscribers. You only have any subscribers, right? You just need to get your content on iTunes and Spotify and make sure that you have the right tags and right titles in your content. Boom. You know, if you have a, a marketing podcast, people are searching for marketing in the search fields, they're going to come across your podcast. And if it's decent content, they're going to advocate and share it out. And, and marketing works in the same exact way. So when you start looking at that balance between AI and human, what AI essentially can do already is make every human's job easier. But to your point, Chris, it removes the personalization aspect out of the equation. You know what I mean? If I am trying to engage with American Airlines because I'm potentially going to miss my flight or I have a customer service issue, yes, I would love to be able to get an answer quickly. But there comes a point in time where you need to be able to get an actual human being to look at your account or look at your reservation or speak to. And that is what has been removed from marketing for, for a number of reasons. But when you typically speak to any marketer that works for a brand, and I've run into this throughout my career, mark, social media in the marketing department oftentimes gets looked at as like the redheaded stepchild of the organization. And what I mean by that is that the social media team gets the less funding for ads, for staff. They're kind of the afterthought. But yet when you really think about it, social media these days is really the front lines of the brand. It's, it's, it's the customer-facing aspect of a brand that gets more visibility than most divisions of any corporation, okay? So my tip for marketers out there that work within a company is, A, if you're overwhelmed because you, you have all these social networks that you're trying to manage and you have all this volume coming in, you need to hire more people. But B, for more of your solopreneur, entrepreneurial audience, don't take on more than you can shoot. Have a presence on the one or two social networks where you can get the biggest reach. Social listening is so powerful. And I advocate for this in my book, The End of Marketing, and throughout my keynotes. What we as marketers and business operators that use social media and businesses need to do a much better job at is listening to what's being said. And I'm not talking about listening to what's just being said about our own brands and our own businesses, but listen to what's being said about our industry that we operate in. Listen to what's being said about our competition. 
you know, content marketing isn't just posting videos or photos or posting a podcast. It's having conversations with people. And again, you want to go back to this conversation about AI versus human, then you need to spend more time having real one-on-one conversations with people. And, you know, when I was promoting my book, Then to Marketing, and I do this, you know, I have this, this term throughout my book, Be a Savage Marketer. When I was promoting my book before it actually came out, I was going on Twitter every single day and I was just spending an hour engaging with every single person that mentioned best business book in tweets or was writing about business books. Now I have social listening feeds that alert me every single day, every morning I get an email of every single person across Twitter in the last 24 hours has mentioned best-selling business book. And while I drink my morning coffee, I literally sit at my dining room table and I tweet at every single one of these people. Some days it's four people, some days it's a dozen, some days it's one. But I personally tweet at every single person that is tweeting about best-selling business books. And that in itself has become a growth hacking strategy for me to grow and build the audience for them to marketing. A few months ago, I launched a new company called Outlaw Masks. How have I been growing Outlaw Masks organically as a startup in a down market? Well, first of all, I have a product that people need, which is face masks, and it's required in most places nowadays. But same methodology. I go on Twitter. I look up people who are, type, who are tweeting cool masks, stylish masks, best-looking masks. And just using these search terms to engage with people one-on-one. And again, AI will probably be able to do this here in the very near future as AI develops. But in the here and now, for any small business that doesn't have access to these expensive tools, you can do it all yourself. 100%. And thanks for adding that onto it. You know, one of the things that you said a lot, really great info, one of the tidbits you talked about, too, was I think your list size, whether it's your social media following, whether it's your your email list. It's all about quality over quantity. And I still think there is people that are still so wrapped around the amount of followers somebody has. And it's it's such a vanity metric because I would rather have 100 followers that I know are going to buy than 100,000 where you might not have even close to that. And, and so it, it is definitely a vanity metric in that. I, I love it that you're, you know, with LinkedIn and you're so familiar with it. One of my biggest pet peeves on LinkedIn is under the headline when people put that they have 50,000 followers in their headline. It's, instead of using it, maybe to advocate their services, maybe some of their expertise, who that they're actually helping, the solutions they, they provide. And they treat it more like Twitter in that, you know, in, in that sense of it. LinkedIn is definitely a platform where you need to put the social and social media. It is a social mm-hmm. B2B platform primarily. One trend I think you're starting to see, and it's but it's still not widely adapted, is having companies, no matter the size, using their employees to not only be you know advocates of their products and services, but to engage with their audience and not so much in, in engage as, hey, sell, buy our stuff. It's to engage and to help provide solutions, you know, to their audience. And it's something where it's always been that traditional way of brand, brand, brand. And now it's becoming more about the users and the people and being helpful. Is LinkedIn, in, in your opinion, and it's not the platform, it's the users on the platform. Mm-hmm. Is that shifting more or do you still feel it's still a problem where it's, it's, Hey, you just connected, you know, Carlos and Ryan just connect. Now Ryan is immediately saying, Hey, Carlos, um, I see that we're connected. Hope you're doing well in COVID-19 and the coronavirus. 
do you need these white labeling services I can provide? IT, you yeah, know, no. guest blogging. You know what I mean? That's 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 the most douchey way to use social media, quite frankly. You know, and and look, I'm gonna just say this: when I started in this game, I'm I'm almost 37. I was 25 back then. You know, I would be filthy rich if I had a nickel for every time someone called me a spammer on LinkedIn because I would just beat people over the head left and right. I was a young guy, didn't have much money, and I was trying to grow my uh, my online job board at the time, Jobs Direct USA, and I, I learned firsthand like you're going to kind of burn a lot of bridges and hurt your reputation more than you're going to help it by just arbitrarily spamming people. And you know, I've had to do a lot of damage control over the years because as my brand grows, as my profile grows and I get around more, I meet more people are like, Oh, you're that guy that used to hit me up in 2010 on LinkedIn all the time. And now there's like, Hey, relax. You know, like I'm actually kind of a decent person now, you know, back then I was just figuring, figuring things out. But, you know, the reality, guys, is that when I went to go work at LinkedIn in 2015, this kind of unsettled some folks internally, but I was very transparent in letting them know that most networking doesn't happen on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, at its core, is a business directory for you to identify who it is at what company you're looking to do business with, assuming you're on the B2B side. And what happens is you go to LinkedIn, you see who you want to do business with. And then what you really need to do is you need to do what I refer to as social stock them, which is you go over to Twitter, you go to Instagram, you see where they have a presence, what they're tweeting about, what they're posting about. And then you engage with them off of LinkedIn and then come back to LinkedIn and invite them to connect there when the time is right. Because here's what's happening. If you're trying to connect with, let's say, a CMO on LinkedIn. That CMO is being hit up every single flipping day, probably a dozen times by other sales reps. And, you know, I've got CMO mentors and friends, and I've worked for CMOs aplenty. And I know their habits on social media. They're not paying attention to their LinkedIn whatsoever. Chances are they have an executive assistant that's managing everything on the back end, kind of weeding through their inbox. CMOs actually hang out on Instagram. And CMOs hang out on Instagram with other CMOs and other friends and colleagues in the space who are kind of at their level, if you will. So your objective, again, is you need to use LinkedIn less as a tool to arbitrarily spam or cold pitch your services and more so use social media holistically to research the person that you're trying to get in front of. What do you think is the blend with humanizing the brand? And what I mean by that is your marketing mix, you know, obviously social needs to be a significant component, but Companies and brands are still going to purchase ads, right? They need to do that in order to increase their awareness and the reach and, and the amount of people that they're able to connect with. But ads are in your face, right? They're, they tend to be harder to humanize. What do you think is the appropriate balance that companies should strike between sort of those alternative tactics and that, that humanization element? couple things, you know, and, and I do this on my own personal brand. I advise clients to do this as well. Your ad needs to look less like an ad and it needs to look more like organic content. So I'll give you an example of that. Take one of your most engaged posts over the last, let's say, year that wasn't necessarily a photo or video. Let's say it was a question that you asked your community and put ad money behind that, but target the audience that you're trying to get that question in front of. Because you want to get more people talking. The more people that you get talking, the more people that are commenting on a piece of content, those are opportunities for you or the person that runs social media for you to engage with people back and have that one-on-one -on -one dialogue that then once you have that dialogue, you can say, hey, by the way, Chris, you know, 
we're selling this. Can you go over to our website and buy it? Or, hey, you know, Ryan, by the way, we've got this offer that, you know, we want to let you know about. So, again, there's this fine balance there of how do you sell without overtly selling and looking a little too desperate? You know, TikTok is a platform that I've started messing around with over the last several months. And what I like about TikTok is you can incorporate music and different filters in your content. So there's been times where I'll play around and I'll drop 50 bucks on a Facebook ad. And it's just a TikTok video that I dropped on Facebook. And within the video itself, I'm selling you. But the caption is just basically like getting you to watch a video. And this is something I'll point out that I say to colleagues all the time. If you're running an ad of any sort or if you want someone to consume a piece of content, don't give away the farm in the caption. Too many times people will put a piece of content on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, and the caption itself, they're already describing what the person's watching. So now there's no incentive to watch or consume the content. Do you understand what I'm saying? So saying less is best because when you say less – now what you're doing is you're hooking people to then watch the, the video and within the video itself, you're selling pe- to people to whoever's watching the product or the call to action. You're, you're telling them within that video itself, like, hey, go back to our website if you want to learn more. In your book, you, you talk about FOMO, right? The fear of missing out has and then using things like, you know, TikTok. Have you seen or is there any trends where maybe something like creating a video that instills that FOMO content is overtaking social media ads that could generate sales, just how today's, you know, user behavior is. So, you know, the, the, the balance that you need to strike here is how to, is how to take the sales from selling. And that in itself is making yourself more marketable to an audience out there. So I look at marketing and dating is very similar to one another. And I use this comparison in my book and I use this comparison in my keynotes that when you look at the essence of Tinder and how online dating works today, online dating is a very shallow process. And people that are out there looking for a date or looking to mate, let's just be you know honest with ourselves here, they're judging you based on a photo. They're judging you not on what's on the inside and how nice of a person you are. But they're judging you based on a simple flipping photo, which is an aesthetic. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Marketing is the same exact thing. It's the same, same principles. You need to make yourself marketable to the people that you're trying to get to swipe a credit card or do business with you or, in this case, date you. And there's a courting process. So I like to use this example. This is like for all the solopreneurs and entrepreneurs out there growing agencies or growing their own personal brand. If you look at my content, for example… And you just can look me up at carlosgill83 on Instagram or on Twitter. I don't do traditional B2B sales calls. I pull people in with my content and I let the business come to me. So instead of me going out and sending, you know, 100 in-mails or hitting people up blindly and saying, hey, I do this, I do that. Instead, I just show you what I do. And it's up to you as the end consumer to determine whether you want to buy my book or whether you want to buy the next guy or girl's book. It's up to the consumer of whether you want to invite me to speak at your conference or you want to invite the next person to speak at your conference. So this is what I'm talking about. You need to find ways to make yourself marketable through the content that you share. That can be everything from giving value, engaging with people one-on-one. You know, if you post a piece of content and people comment and you don't comment back, that makes it look like you're not in building a community. You're not engaging an audience. You're just posting content for the sake of being loud and creating noise. There's so many like intricacies to this game 
that like I could really break down, but for the sake of time, you know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Like make yourself look sexy to the people out there. And the way you do that is through the content that you post and by the conversations that you have with others. You know, with this big shift happening in the space, you mentioned a phrase earlier, growth hacking, which it's kind of funny. I've heard that a lot over the last five years. And I feel like that is in, in many ways, just another way of saying marketing, right? Because your, your goal with growth hacking is increased growth, increased revenue, increased customer count, right? Which at its core is sort of what marketing should be. Where do you see marketing going from here? And, you know, there's a lot of maneuvering in the space. Like I think it was McDonald's that eliminated their CMO role a year ago. And there's also this hybrid role that we're hearing a lot more about where you have a what's called a marketing technologist or a chief marketing technology officer, which, you know, traditionally in large organizations, IT had the the largest budget for everything, but it's sort of shifting to this role because every company is focused on growth, right? So if you're going to implement a more expensive technology infrastructure, shouldn't that be to benefit your customers? So I'm curious with all of this, all these gyrations and all of this happening in the space, where do you see marketing going from here? Such a good question. You know, well, first of all, I've never been a fan of the titles at all because being a former social media lead at, at companies, you know, there'd be days where I would have direct inroads to the CMO or CEO. There'd be other days where I would just be an order taker, uh, you know, and, and copywriting, quite frankly, there's a big mix of that. You know, I think that going forward, one of the most critical roles for an organization is actually your, your chief digital officer, because that person is responsible, not just for social media, they're responsible for email, they're responsible for the website, they're responsible for all the digital means of communicating with your customers and prospects. And, and that essentially is a pseudo CMO role when you think about it. You know, I don't know if that necessarily answers your, your, your question, but you know, I think that one of the most important uh, shifts that you're going to see in marketing going forward is companies having to hire creatives that they can develop into in-house influencers. You know, I'm not a fan of influencer marketing as it stands today because the relationship between an influencer and a brand is transactional. And don't get me wrong, you know, I work with my share of brands out there and I wish that they were cutting me a check every single month to endorse them, but they don't. You know, they pay me for a one-time one-time fee to do it to promote them. You know, it's just a transaction. And I think what brands are going to start doing going forward is instead of doing these one-off influencer campaigns is you hire people as employees and you start making them the faces of your brand. You turn the community manager into an influencer for your company. Someone that story tells on behalf of your company, someone who you're building a story around, you're really putting them out there front and center. I know, you know, for most companies, they, they look at that notion, that theory, and they say, so well, what do we do when we have to fire this person? Because they don't show up to work or they don't work out. Well, that's a product of bad hiring at that point. You know, so you need to really vet and ensure that you're hiring the right people. Maybe the future of a marketing hire is not a nine to five W2 employee. Maybe it's a contractor that has their own business on the side, but yet also works for you and you being a client for them. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that I think we're going to see marketers and corporations in general, especially in a post COVID world, still kind of keep the lights on. But I think, again, what we've seen over the last 10 years is the foundation that's going to you know, really be the next iteration for what's to come. You know, it's funny. You, you're just 
What you just mentioned with regards to influencer marketing, we actually just had an opportunity to interview Neil Schaefer for the podcast. And one of the things he talked about is the way influencing influencer marketing is misunderstood because you have a lot of people that look at it from the sales aspect that mentioned exactly what you just said, right? Which is that the the engagement between the influencer and the brand is simply transactional, right? The brand cuts a check, the influencer says whatever the brand wants them to say, and that's that. He redefines it as which is similar to the way you described it, which is people that love the company, people that advocate for the company, and it's more of a longer-term relationship, which I think sort of highlights exactly what you were talking about, whereas you have individuals that are part of the company that are acting as those influencers, where there is a more long-term relationship and engagement there. Do you see that continuing to evolve and being more impactful? Because it feels like, particularly now with COVID-19, a lot of these these one-hit wonders, I mean, even brands are pulling back their budgets to, to spend with like a Kylie Jenner or a Kim Kardashian so that they can get some of those smaller, more meaningful engagements. Here, here's the thing, though, like to expand on what you just said from, you know, from, from your podcast interview with Neil. And, you know, I have a ton of respect for Neil because he's been in this game you know, a very long time as well. When you look at relationships as transactional, then you're basically just doing an ad buy, right? Paying a Carlos Gill to promote you or a Kylie Jenner, obviously, you know, Kylie's going to give you a shit ton more reach and impressions. But what happens when Kylie goes away? What happens when Carlos Gill or any other influencer that you hire goes away? And, you know, I write about this and then the marketing, when you hire an influencer, you're going to see a spike in traffic and engagement. Just go up because now a new audience is consuming content that has your brand mentioned in it. But when that influencer goes away, it, it goes right back down and then the flat lines to where it was before. And that in itself is not, you know, scalable marketing whatsoever. It's again, no different than doing an ad buy. What I advocate for brands to do is continue to hire people that have that same skill set that an influencer is going to bring to the table. Because at the end of the day, what are you really paying an influencer for? For two things. One, reach their audience. Their audience is not your audience. Okay, so you can pay me and I'll promote your product for you, your service. But even though I talk about business topics and you're a business selling B2B services, there might be a disconnect there because my audience from one day to another is going to be like, well, why the hell do I want to hear about, you know, these refillable print toner cartridges that Carlos Gill's promoting? You know, it just comes out left field. It's not organic. Well, that's one. You know, brands will pay for the reach and the audience, but you can also pay for reaching audience with a Facebook ad. Two, which you can't get out of a Facebook ad, which is the real value that influencer brings, is they bring a sense of charisma, personality, swagger, understanding for the channels that your average marketer does not have. If you give your average marketer an iPhone and tell them to go on Instagram stories and just start storytelling, they're not going to know what to do. And they're not going to know how to do it with that same kind of swagger like if you're with me and I start going on Instagram, you know, I'm here converting, doing this with you guys, but all of a sudden it's like I'm kicking up another notch because I know there's just a certain presence that you need to convey to make the other person, the other end of that, that screen, really feel you. You know, if that's making sense. I think I might be getting a little too technical there, but that's really what you're paying an influencer for. It's like a hired extra in a movie. They're a hired talent. So instead of now hiring these people temporarily, it goes back to what I said earlier, hire these people to be your employees or hire employees that understand creative storytelling. They understand creative design 
And you can train anyone to be a better marketer, right? When you really think about it. A hundred percent. That's something that we have come across a lot where in Tampa, Ybor City, there is the Entrepreneurial Collaborative Center, ECC, and that's where they can get free services, where these are startups, entrepreneurs. Well, they have a product. They know their product really well or their service. They don't even know how to begin with a website and social media, at least effectively. You know, like that. They can do selfies on Instagram, but maybe not to the extent of, of getting it out there. So you're right. I love it. You can teach people digital marketing, and, and there's so many millions of courses and in, in you know influencers uh, like yourself. I think it is great. One thing going back, it was interesting. I loved how you talked about creating a TikTok video and then you know using that you know cross platforms you know for a Facebook ad, for example. Video is huge. It's king. Mm-hmm. And that's just how more people are consuming content, especially since I would even say since March, where streaming video and, and people's consumption of video is, is kind of through the roof. And it's the highest we've ever seen it up to this point. And I'm sure it'll continue. Part of that is everybody is has transitioned to this work from home or a large majority. Have you seen, you know, or I should say, let me rephrase that. Where do you see this going, A, from from the video standpoint of consumption and content creation with video? And are there, you know, parallels with this new work from home? You know, it's funny because it seems like for the last five or six years, you've had so many gurus and thought leaders in the marketing space talk about like video is the next big thing. And, you know, we're still hearing in 2020 that video is the next big thing. Uh, it's not new. You know, video is a utility. Video is a tool. Video is what makes us feel just a little bit more connected to someone else. So I think that there are ways that businesses can be more effective with using video, that being responses, right? If you really want to humanize your brand and sift through all this noise, respond to people on Twitter with a, with a video. Send them a private video direct message. Use more of Instagram stories. I'm not really a fan of live video so much, so to speak. Because I think what happens with live videos in the moment, it's cool. But then on the replay, it just doesn't have that same effect because you're not watching something live. But I think, again, like there's little nuances and ways that you can use video just to like give your content, you know, a little bit more extra oomph. Like, you know, again, last night I'm at Costco with my kids and my wife and I took off my my outlaw mask because I've had a lot of people ask me like, hey, like what's what's the inside look like? What's the back look like? Just this quick little video. I threw it on, on on my Instagram story. Then I saved it. Threw it on TikTok. And now because it had like cool music and overlays, I threw that video this morning on my Twitter and now my Facebook as a little demo. It literally, guys, took me the video is thirty seconds. It took me all of thirty seconds to make a piece of content that now looks cool, feels cool, it's trendy without having to do anything like well produced. And that's the thing I think not just with video but just with social media in general. People overthink and they don't just do. And in these times that people are working from home, especially, trust me, people aren't going to be overly critical that you filmed a piece of content on an iPhone instead of using a DSLR. You know, I'm speaking to you guys from my dining room and you see my flipping kitchen in the background. People are listening to me right now and they've been listening to me for the last however many minutes we've been broadcasting because the content itself is valuable to them not because of the aesthetics around me. You understand? So the same principles apply in brand marketing. You know, I cannot stand when a brand has a CEO make a statement. We saw this happen a couple of months ago with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, some of the different protests 
that were happening around the United States, especially from like your targets and your Nordstroms that were experiencing, you know, uh, looting. And you had these corporate CEOs making these statements that were so just stale, no emotion. They, it was very obvious that they had their PR team or corporate comms team write these tweets to a T. And guess what? I used to be on those teams when I worked in corporate that would also write these very stale, emotionless, lifeless pieces of content. And in 2020, ladies and gentlemen, people see through the bullshit. They know when it's not a CEO that wrote something on Twitter. So why not just empower your executives to storytell on your behalf? Think about how much more effective you could be with building advocacy and building community if you were to just pick up the one device that you take everywhere with you and are constantly married by, just use this one device to record content that's going to make your community feel much more connected to your, to your, to your community and to your customers. I think one area that people struggle with and what you're talking about, it's that self-conscious of creating this video, not just of the video of, okay, maybe it's not, you know, um, the most elaborate video with this high-end production value to it. But there's also this imposter syndrome that people come across where, especially if you're in this space that you and I are, you know, Chris are talking about, there dime a dozen. There's just a million mm -hmm. of them. How can somebody overcome that and just say, you know, use their personality to say that's it's OK to do that, to be yourself, because I think people gravitate to personalities. You know, when, at the end of the day, if everybody knows the exact same thing, what differentiates you, it is your personality. But a lot of people struggle with that because they're looking at, you know, somebody who's much bigger name or maybe is a lot louder on social media than they are. Is that something, A, that you have just personally ever struggled with and overcome? Or, you know, is it something that you've seen other people you work with? And how, how do they get over that? You know, one, 1,000%. I'm glad that you brought that up. So, you know, since we're talking about humanizing your brand, today when you really look at who the, who the biggest brands are on social media, it's not historical legacy consumer brands. It's people. You know, I did, when I sat down and wrote down the marketing, I did research on who were the most followed accounts on Instagram, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. And it was all people. And there's these three common themes that you see these influencers, if you will, or these personal brands follow. One, you have personas that educate, you have personas that entertain or you have personas that inspire. So when you really look, when you really peel back the layers on you, like in our business space, I'm going to ask you guys, when you think of the top guru in the social media marketing space, who do you think about? You know who I hear the most and I see the most? It, I would say the top comes to mind is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. How about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I go back to the influencer space. I think of follower counts, right? So I probably think of a Kylie Jenner or a Kim Kardashian. All right. So you just named two people I wrote about in my book because you're right. Both of you are right. In the consumer space, Kylie Jenner is like the queen. In the business space, Gary Vee is the king. So what do these two individuals have in common besides being famous and having a lot of followers? They have a theme. You know them for something. And they stay within that lane. Gary, he's going to educate you, but he's going to inspire you. and He's going to motivate you, make you feel amazing. You know, The Rock does the same thing. Kylie Jenner, she's going to entertain you. She's also going to go ahead and sell you her products, but show you and educate you how to use her products. Like you got to follow a theme and you have to be known for something. And, you know, I use this parallel 
throughout my book a lot. I'm a big pro wrestling fan, old school WWF fan, right? And I see you guys Carlos. are holding your hands up. So yes. every pro wrestler has a gimmick, correct? So And probably like my next keynote that I do when all this shit blows over and 2021 rolls around, I swear I'm going to do a keynote just about the parallels between pro wrestling and marketing. So let me kind of break this down. <laughs> this is this is the point where we'd probably be like our fourth or fifth beard. It would act, it would actually sound yes. better. But let me break this shit down, okay? I fell in love with pro wrestling when I was five years old because I loved the gimmicks that these guys had, okay? And they played a gimmick. They played a character. So we knew them for their gimmick, like the Million Dollar Man. We knew him as being this like wealthy, you know, aristocrat, right? We had, you know, Hulk Hogan was like, you know, say your prayers, take your vitamins. You know, we had all these different characters. The space that we're in of marketing is the same shit. You've got your gimmicks. You've got your gurus. You've got your heels. You've got your faces. So for a brand to get this concept, if I go in front of a CML, I'm like, hey, you got to have a gimmick just like a pro wrestler. They would think I'm batshit fucking crazy. But you look at DJ Khaled, who's one of the biggest stars on social media. That guy's got a gimmick. I'm sure when he's at home laying in bed with his wife, he's not saying bless up a major keys to success. But that's his gimmick on, online. And people like the gimmick. So going back to one of your questions, how have I built my business? It's simple. I built a gimmick because I've done this long enough that I know what people like. They like the, the outspoken, boisterous guy that's going to be, again, on a Gary Vee level, just in your face, pounding you with what you need to do to be more successful. Some other people like a little bit more reserved approach. I think like you guys mentioned Neil Schaefer, much more reserved of a person. So it's like different strokes for different folks. Like you're going to gravitate to the person that's the most real and relatable to you. And that's where I'm going with this. Okay. That is the strategy is build a brand that's real and relatable, but don't lose sight of the fact that you have to have a purpose or you have to have a plan. You have to have a voice. And that is my friends that are wrestling fans, the gimmick. Two notes on that. So wrestling was definitely one of those things I was in, and then I kind of went away from it, and then all of a sudden kind of came back to it again. And the biggest thing was WrestleMania was scheduled to be in Tampa in April 2020, and then they they pushed know, it. Chris man. and I were, Chris I and I were going. We had tickets and everything, yeah, and, and everything yeah. they were like, you kidding me? The other thing is I loved Hulk Hogan growing up. I mean, it was just, it was perfect. Then I come to find out, you know, he had this whole Venice speech and all this other stuff. He, he was kind of part of his gimmick. No, uh -huh. he had this beautiful mansion on Clearwater, Florida. And, you know, it's about 20 minutes from my house or something like that. Whereas then I said, okay, he's a Tampa Bay guy, you know, and all over the place. So then it was even more relatable. But the gimmick thing, I think, is kind of interesting. And, and some people will hear this and think, oh, gimmick. OK, I don't want to be gimmicky. I want to be authentic. And I and I think there's a line between the, the, the two. That whole line of transparency and authenticity is a fucking gimmick. When you really stop and break it down, it is a gimmick. If you say, oh, I don't want to have a gimmick because I want to be authentic. Well, that's that's your gimmick. It's just being authentic, saying what you want to say, showing your true self. But I will push back and tell anyone that's like, oh, man, I'm always real and reliable. No, you're not. You show people what you choose to show people. That is what social media is. It's smoke and mirrors. If you understand pro wrestling as a true mark, you understand the game of social media marketing. In 2001, uh, Super Bowl's in Tampa, and I got a chance to go to one of these Super Bowl parties that lead up to the day. 
And it was a very small amount of people that got from the public got in. I still don't know how I got in at all, but I was able to get in. And I'm outside, a few drinks, and up the back stairwell comes out. It's outside Ybor City. This guy comes, and I'm on the phone. I'm talking to a buddy of mine. Couldn't get over it that I was here, and I'm seeing all these NFL players. And this guy comes up behind me, and I'm on the phone, and he comes into my ear and says, Yo, man, you can hang up the phone. I'm here. And I turn around. It's Randy Macho Man Savage. And I got to shake his hand, and he was awesome. And that exchange lasted maybe all of five to seven seconds, and then he was off, and I never saw him again. This was a mostly celebrity-type thing. The man stayed within his brand. He stayed within, and it kind of add to that authenticity. You know, is he authentic? He's authentic to his brand. You know, is he like that when he's off hours at home? No, probably not. But he stayed in character. He stayed within his brand. And it was awesome. And I, that was just a story, in, a, a little anecdote of what you were saying, Carlos, about to that. Build on that. To build on that, did you guys see The Last Ride? I did not. Did, have you guys even heard? Are you guys even pro wrestling fans still? <laughs> oh, not like I, like right, I, I need to get my Hey, waiter, bring me my check. So I'm going to tell you Tell guys this. The Undertaker uh, did his own version of, of The Last Dance, you know, to, to kind of piggyback off the success of Michael Jordan's gimmick. And he did it out of character. It was like a five-part series to announce his retirement. And it was completely out of character. He calls himself Mark Calloway. And he's just, dude's out of character, sitting in his house like this, talking the whole time. And they're showing, like, clips back and forth throughout his career. I told my wife, this is very well produced, but I'm extremely disappointed. Extremely disappointed. Because even at my age, and even though I know that this guy, The Undertaker, is a real human being and he's not really a dead guy, I don't want to see the guy that I've known my whole life as The Undertaker speaking as, as, a, as a regular person. Completely kills the whole aura of the gimmick. To your point, with you meeting the late, great Randy Savage you know, they're at the Super Bowl. Like, I don't want to meet and know these people as themselves. And I think that's that's where social media is actually in some cases hurting pro wrestlers instead of helping them. Like, if I was a pro wrestler these days, if I worked at WWE, I'd be advising these guys, like, keep your storylines going through social media. Use that as a way to sell more merchandise, to engage with the fans, you know what I'm saying? But the, you know, the the facade, if you will, has been has been broken down because of social. And, and you know, it's ironic that now we're talking about pro wrestling because pro wrestlers are using social media to be real. And then brands are trying to figure out, well, how do we use social media to have a personality and have a gimmick? I think the good ones do. But I think it goes back to a point that you we were talking about earlier about the vulnerability aspect of it. Perfect is the enemy of done. And Ryan and I can speak to that firsthand because we have been talking about this podcast for years. I mean, if we're being honest and both of us really put a lot of effort and energy into the content and it took us pushing ourselves to take the leap, you know, and, and hearing the sound of your own voice, man, that takes some getting used to. I mean, there was an element as we were putting these out there and then, you know, promoting it on LinkedIn or Twitter where you cringe for a moment because you're like, oh, I'm really exposing myself to criticisms and whatnot. But we know it's imperfect and yet we made the leap and you know, we're seeing, you know, now, as Ryan mentioned earlier, we're in 30 different countries and we're getting a lot of feedback and it's been super exciting. But there is that element of sort of having to kind of get over that and build up that gimmick, which I think goes to exactly what you were saying, because it's it, it wasn't natural. I don't think it's I mean, I think some people have type A personalities and maybe they're, they're built like that. But the rest of us, it's a learned skill. You don't you don't know how to do it. You just got to take the leap. 
1000%. I, believe it or not, am very introverted. And I'm naturally not like a high strung, wake up out of bed and, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to be all over the place hyper. And, and, and it's just not me. Like, I'm an only child and I'm a very shy, reserved person. But when I jump on and put on this headset and open up my MacBook and talk with gentlemen like you two, again, going back to the gimmick, the persona, People have followed me for years. That's what they're used to, right? I could have just had the worst news before I came on here, but I'm not going to come on here and be, you know, all melodramatic. I'm going to be upbeat. And you know what? Like that in itself carries over into my book. It carries over to my stage presence when I speak at a conference. And it's what people like. That's what they want. So I've been able to tap into that. And you're right. It's the, it's something you develop like a skill set over time. When I go back and I look at, YouTube videos of mine in 2009 and 10 and 11. If you really want a fun time, go on YouTube and type in Carlos Gill Jobs Direct USA and you will see a much younger version of myself. I hate how I used to sound. I hated it because I was like a young kid that had no media training, which is real green, real raw. And over time, you keep practicing, right? That that tone. And I think that's the skill set that actors have that celebrities have and that influencers have, which is what brands pay for. So kind of to bring this full circle, if that is what what gets people to gravitate to your content, why not just develop that within the own four walls of your company? I agree. And I, you know, overcoming, I think it's important to realize individuals always think of the worst case scenario as if that's what's going to happen and you psych yourself out. For me, it was like, you know, when you put yourself out there, whether it's speaking on stage or something like this, that's a podcast, you think of yourself as like, oh, my God, I'm going to be like Cersei Lannister naked walking down and people are going to be yelling, ringing a bell, yelling shame, shame, you know, and it's never like that. It's never as bad as you make it seem. And that's the biggest thing is those mental obstacles. It's um, you psych yourself out before you even gave yourself uh, a chance. I know there's a lot of people that are like that. And so it's, it's interesting to hear your stories of, you know, it wasn't always like this. You know, it's you just practice your craft and you continue to progress and um, and get out there. So so thank you for uh, for sharing that. And, and, you know, the thing about that. So anyone listening that, you know, wants to go down this path of building a personal brand, it's consistency. Right. You need to spend hours upon hours engaging with strangers on the Internet meeting people in person, getting out to conferences, like none of this stuff, you know, I'm in my 12th year of doing this. I started in 2008 and it takes a while to really build a brand and it takes a while to develop a voice and, you know, a, a persona, if you will. And when you go out in public, again, going back to the professional wrestler gimmick, you have to be true to form who you are in person and who you are on the internet. And that's where, I, well, that's where I think the authenticity really comes in. You know, when I first started getting well-known and I'd go to these conferences and whatnot a couple times at the beginning, people would say to me, Hey, you're different than what I thought you would be in person. And I didn't understand what they meant. And then I started analyzing like, yeah, I can, I can see that. You know, I can see where online you're seeing someone that's more kind of larger than life in your face. And then in person you're seeing someone that's a little bit more reserved, if you will. But I think that we're at a point where these things need to be spoken about. And that's really what I shared in my book, too. Like, again, you were asking me at the beginning, like, what's in a name? How's the book unique? It's talking about the things that really don't openly get spoken about. 
You know, it's 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 speaking about the smoke and mirrors, if you will, about online marketing today. You know, it's it's really sharing with people that a lot of what you see in a way is an act. And there's no other way for me. I think there's people that are probably listening to this right now. They're like, oh, this guy's so full of shit. You know, I only like people that are transparent and authentic. But again, what does transparency and authenticity mean on a platform that you can control everything that people see? Right? We're not talking about a reality show. We're not talking about the Truman Show that sees everything that happens in your life, good, bad, or indifferent. We're talking about you control the narrative of every single piece of content that is posted on your social media. So I want you to think about that for a moment. If you can control the narrative of every single piece of content that goes out on your social media channels, are you really being 100% authentic and transparent? I think that's also one of the key reasons why individuals, brands, whomever need to stop chasing perfection before they hit publish. You made a point earlier about sort of cringing when you see your older work. I've sort of tried to follow this mantra of if you don't look back at work that you did a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and cringe at least a little bit, then you haven't learned or grown since that time. And so that is sort of validation that you continue to learn and expand in the space and add value. So, well, Carlos, I feel like we could hang out and talk for hours on end, but I do want to be respectful of time. Uh, We have a segment on the show that we call Keep It Light so that people know that we're real. Uh, What are you binge watching or reading these days? Oh, man, such a good question. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV. Now that sports is back, though, I've been enjoying seeing some of these MLB games, even though they don't have fans. WWE is really hard to watch nowadays, I just have to say, you know, with their little situation recording Orlando at, at the Performance Center. It's not really my jam. I'm so sorry you guys missed out on WrestleMania. Have you guys been to a WrestleMania before? No, not so WrestleMania. I went, I went years ago when I was in Orlando, and then I went after that when it was uh, Cena versus The Rock in Miami. And WrestleMania is just an incredible experience. So uh, I think that WWE hurt their brand more by trying to do the whole WrestleMania experience indoors with no fans this year. But binge-watching, I'm not really a TV guy. I just like sports. Narcos is my favorite series every time they do that on Netflix. So I love Narcos. You know, I'm, I'm not someone that reads much, to be honest with you. Uh, I've got a great book recommendation, which is the end of marketing, though. So be sure to uh, go on Amazon and check that out. But yeah, that's, that's, that's it. If people want to learn more about you, obviously, they go to Amazon for end of marketing. Where can people learn more about Carlos Gill and follow? Uh, yeah, you can, you can add me at CarlosGill83 on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Carlos, thank you for your time. You dropped a ton of knowledge, a lot of value that I think I know that people will be able to use, take home with them, and uh, apply in their own business. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. All right, Carlos. Take care. So, Ryan, that was another fun episode of The Happy Hour. What'd you think? You know, I thought Carlos you know, brought a lot of energy, had a lot of nuggets. I thought we got to learn a lot about his experience and how he started and kind of where he is at in his career. I think a lot of people will be able to use examples of things that he said and, and immediately be able to apply it into their business or their lives. And of course, with his book, End of Marketing, I thought that was just really interesting in how he he positioned sort of his words, what the end of marketing is all about. So I thought it was great. Loved his energy. And um, I thought he was great. 
Yeah, his energy was fantastic. I think I still struggle a little bit with the whole idea of a gimmick, but I, I sort of understand what he was driving at, you know, when you're talking about curated social media content. I think there's a difference between transparency and authenticity, though. I think you don't have to be fully transparent and share every aspect of your life, and yet you can still be authentic in your messaging. So I think there was some truth in what he was saying, but I just wanted to sort of clarify the difference for our listeners, as it were. No, and that was the one thing that... I, I kind of held on to was was the word gimmick, and I, I agree with you. I see where he's coming from. I just think when you think about gimmick, it's you're trick you're pulling one over on somebody, and it's a little trickery. So that part of it, I kind of I would say I, I, I disagree with it, but I think that's just more of of the word that he used as opposed to what he means uh, behind all of it. So yeah, no, great point though on that. So in the interest of consistency, what are you binge watching or reading this week, Ryan? You know, I have been on this, you know, keeping it light sports theme with it, and I'm going to continue with it. For me, it's just been great seeing, again, some more sort of sporting events now that the NHL is in the playoff mode. I think that's exciting. Again, it's always different with these empty stadiums, these empty arenas, you know, empty golf courses. The PGA Championship just finished up. So, that's a little different, and I'm still getting used to it, but at the same time, man, I'm absolutely loving uh, just being able to watch all different types of sports that it's airing right now. What about you, Chris? Yeah, largely the same. Still watching a lot of baseball. Uh, my Rangers got knocked out of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, so no more hockey for me. But uh, I did get a chance to relax a little bit this week, and Season 2 of The Umbrella Academy came out, I think it was last week. So I'm starting to get caught up on that. That's uh, it's sort of a comic book story told in uh, – it's on Netflix. Uh, it's actually fun. It's lighthearted. It's uh, – I don't know. Needed something that didn't require too much of me, and it d- did not disappoint. Well, we would like to hear from you. If you heard something you loved that Carlos said, something that you disagreed with – let us know. We want to hear your feedback on this podcast episode or really any episodes that we've had up to this point. Send us an email. It's podcast at araxam.com. Again, podcast at com. Also, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you feel about the podcast. And again, any episodes on LinkedIn. Do a search for me, Ryan Smith Marketing, or you could even hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. The handle's the same on both those. It's Ryan Smith FLA. That's R-Y-A-N-S-M-I-T-H-F-L-A. And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. You can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Casale. You can also search Araxum or Digital Marketing Happy Hour and find me that way. And on Twitter, I'm Real Chris Casale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it'll enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast, and hopefully Carlos's mom's favorite podcast too now. And on that note, thanks everyone for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye for now. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. 
The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album, Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.